Welcome to the 132nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Don and Grant Breikreitz farm in a part of western Minnesota that can be extremely drought-prone. The light, sandy soil they farm near the Minnesota River can dry out quickly, making it difficult to make a decent crop every year or to even develop resilient, productive pastures. That was one of the reasons that 10 years ago the Bright Crisis switched to a system where they rotated their cow-calf herd between several smaller pastures every few days, rather than keeping them on one big pasture all summer long. They were happy with this rotational system, which allowed their pastures to recover between grazings and distributed manure more evenly throughout their grassed acres. Forage production increased, overgrazing became less of a problem, and the animals were healthier. But three years ago, Grant and Don decided to take their rotational grazing system one step further when they switched to mob grazing, a system where pasture paddocks are exposed to more animals for shorter periods of time. In fact, mob grazers often double the stocking rate in their paddocks and will move the cattle as often as once a day. When used correctly, this short, intense activity can supercharge soil biology, greatly increasing a pasture's productivity and resilience. Indeed, the Bright Crisis have been able to roughly double their cattle production on their operation during the past few years. The most pleasant surprise is that fields which formerly struggled to produce a decent corn or soybean crop because of the lightness of the soil are now home to a variety of healthy perennial forages that serve as a basis for a low-cost, profitable cattle herd. During a recent Land Stewardship Project Farm Beginnings Field Day at the Breikreitz's operation, participants saw pastures that were incredibly verdant. Their cow-calf herd was obviously doing well in the grass, and on this particular spring day, grassland birds such as bobolinks were everywhere. It was clear the farm's grass production system was producing multiple benefits on a part of the landscape that is surrounded by monocrops of corn and soybeans. After the tour, I chatted with Don and Grant about what switching to this more intense grazing system has meant for their bottom line as well as the health of the land. Can you, for maybe the uninitiated, explain the difference between just the rotational grazing and the mob grazing? What, what, what are we talking about on a daily basis of how, how different it is? On uh, rotational grazing... We would move a set group of cows every three to seven days between eight or nine paddocks. With uh, mob grazing, we move larger groups of cattle. What we currently do is about 125 cow-calf pairs on two and a half acres, and we move every day. So, so one of the things you guys had talked about today that I think was really pretty impressive was you had before had about, I don't know, rough math, about half the number of cows that you were producing, and now you've kind of, you're getting double the ability to, uh, double the numbers of cattle, and you feel like they're more productive. Sure. When we bought out his um, mom and dad, we bought 58 head of cows, mama cows. On the acreage that we had at that time, we had to split those cattle up and get some of them off the farm onto off-farm pasture. And now we're running, this past year we ran about 160 pairs, and of those 160, we ran 125 of them here on our home farm that we used to run 58 head on. And um, we left grass stockpiled in a drought year, and we're just figuring out how to do it more efficiently. We we're watching the grass health, the the soil health improve. We're able to 
graze uh, crops, cover crops, and um, residue on the fields in the wintertime. The cows aren't in the yard in the wintertime. The herd health is much better. Just overall, it's a, it's a better atmosphere for the cattle to be in. And it sounds like it's, I know you don't have it uh, per- perfected yet, but it sounds like financially it's a much better situation that you're, you feel like you're getting that, putting more, keeping more dollars in your pocket anyway. Absolutely. We, and, and then, you know, some people think that that's too much work to move the cows every day, but when you look at the bottom line and what our inputs are and what we have at the end of the year, it's so much more worth it than throwing those cows out there and, and say, you know, see you later, you know, this fall. We know what we're, we're looking at. We're seeing those cows every day. We're interacting with them. They're used to us being with them so that if we do have to work with them, they aren't crazy. They're calm. We can go out there. We're safe. If we have problems, we know it right away, and we can bring, we can bring the medicine to them if we have to, or we can bring them up in the yard and, and deal with them up here. So there is a big benefit in looking at those cattle every day. We know if there's problems instantly. We're watching. That's one of the things that we've been taught is to watch what's going on with those cows on a daily basis. Well, and one of the paddocks we looked at I think was impress, impressive in that you guys had talked about how when it was in crops, you would maybe make a good crop, I don't know, I think you said three out of every ten years, something like that. I mean, uh, that's it sounds like that that has become a real productive part of the farm, even though it's not the best soil. Yeah, it's it's very sandy, um, drought-prone type of soil, and um, we're getting, I guess we haven't figured out the forage production we're getting on the cows, but we're grazing it three times a year now instead of getting a failed crop seven out of ten years. I mean, every year, even last year in a drought, we grazed it three times with the management style we're using now. I guess when when you look at it, the like Dawn said, the the idea of moving cattle every day is a time investment. But when you look at the cost of production on a pound of calf with the increased forage on the acreage, you're getting paid quite well for your time out there. And the benefit of hopefully the future benefits to the soil and our production the way it looks to us is just going up and up and up. So, yeah, we had looked at another paddock. We looked at you guys had Howard Mechnig, the the grazing specialist, had kind of gotten down there and right away found five species. You know, and it's a pretty diverse system. It's not a monoculture, and and it's. Uh, I wonder. I think that's a lot of people are now saying that that diversity is what's helping keep some of these pastures more drought tolerant. Uh, and you said you hadn't even planted any of those. No, what Howard found today, we hadn't. We haven't planted anything on there. In fact, we sprayed to kill not those species, but it would have been a side effect of the sprays we were using to kill the thistles. And we've got clovers and alfalfas and native prairie grasses all growing out there in the same pastures. It's 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 slowly but surely getting drought drought proofed. What do you guys? What are your plans uh, for the future? So you, you you strike me as people who kind of push it as much as you can. <laughs> to put it, I mean that in a nice way. Yeah, I guess we're trying to get farther and farther away from buying inputs from town. Um, trying to get the cattle to convert to cover crops into usable nutrients for the cash grain crops we're still growing and producing and and feeding or selling. And the pastures, we hope to keep increasing productivity on them. We've we've got one other additional pasture that we didn't tour today that 
we'll just be starting mob grazing on this here. And if we can get that one up to the health, we got our home farm here. We'll be able to hold a significant amount more cattle again. It'll open, it'll open up options for us. We'll be able to save more calves back, maybe try some grass finishing, other options, just to more diversify our our marketing options. I guess as far as, I mean, my dream is ultimately to have it all, all planted grass. Barring that, I think... Um, as far as our cropping systems, we'd like to go to a no-till, you know, situation. We have very light soils here, and so the more, you know, organic matter we can leave here, the more water-holding capacity that we, you know, we're going to have. To have a a really good balance of of crops and grass, and that just opens up so many more avenues for us, because each year is different, because each weather system is different, and it just gives us more diversified capabilities. The whole idea of this is it's supposed to be fun and profitable. So that's what we're trying to do is make it fun and profitable. You guys, I had mentioned this cooperative farming agreement you have with the DNR land next door. And I thought that was really interesting that you had talked about how the the DNR a guy that you're working with said, you know, this is really... Um, I really like what you're doing here, that this is a, a good system. For, and we saw bobolinks out in your fields. I mean, it's obvious. But you guys have talked about you've seen birds. You're right here near the Minnesota River, and that's, there's a big issue of contaminants going in there. But it's obvious that you guys are kind of having a positive impact here. What we've done with the DNR on this cooperative farming agreement is they had a set guideline that covers the whole state as to how it's supposed to be grazed. Uh, The wildlife management officer that takes care of our area has seen what we're doing with our own pastures and just said, do that with our land. So we did that. Beans, this is uh, 680 acres, a wildlife management area. There's a lot of hunters down there for deer hunting. We intentionally grazed it um, six weeks prior to deer hunting, one of the first years we had it. We had hunters stopping in the yard saying, don't know what you did down there, but it was great. That's where we shot all the deer. So the wildlife come, the birds, we see birds all the time. Two years ago, we had bird watchers all the way up here from Nebraska watching birds moving with our cattle that aren't supposed to be in Minnesota. I don't remember the name of them. But, and, and the deer, this year there was up to 19 deer on our property. We haven't had deer winter on our property for years. But it's a combination of the cover crops, the grazing, having the right grasses left out there. It's good for the entire environment instead of just what we're trying to produce. Just when we went to the cows and we fed them out there, we, were, we weren't only feeding the cows. We were feeding turkeys, pheasants, grouse, grouse deer, cows. What else was out there? Coyotes later on kind of looking, you know, picking through everything or looking for weak, weaklings out there. If you, it's kind of like one of those things where if you build it, they will come, yeah. and they're, they're here. We watch the deer go every night on a, on a schedule across one field, and then they go to another field and graze on our um, triticale and the, the clover. So we've made an environment where everything wants to be here, and it's, it's not de- detrimental to any other species, and we see that as a definite positive. I think the the management style that we've been taught and learned through holistic management, we had Ian Mitchell Innes here 
on our farm last spring. We we went and saw him the year before in Missouri, so we went through two of his three-day courses. When you're managing for maximum grass production and, and multi-species, everything else just comes with it. You eliminate the inputs, and yet you're growing a better product for anything and everything that can eat it or live in it. So it's multi-dimensional when you sit back and look at it. Instead of the way we were doing it, all we were worried about was production agriculture, and all we were doing is writing checks to the input suppliers. Well, when we've got this figured out now, we've, we've learned there's a different way. The ground will produce on its own th- through the use of the livestock. information on farming systems that are profitable as well as good for soil health, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and click on the Soil Health, Profits, and Resiliency page. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Morgandale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.